Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Eating Crow podcast. I'm joined today by Teddy Mitrosilis. Did I get it right? You nailed it, Pete. That's awesome. You always want to start it off by pronouncing. By the way, I have started a podcast without asking the question first, and I've had to restart it because I knew I wasn't going to get it right. <laughs> well, I've heard every variation you can imagine, so the fact that yes. you nailed it out of the gate is impressive. It's a cool name, by the way. It's a long Greek one. Yeah, but Mitrosilis, I mean, it just it sounds way better than Johnson. <laughs> no offense to any Johnsons out there, but Mitrosilis is a way cooler name. By the way, this is from a guy named Pete. hey pete's cool too yeah it works worse so i tripped over you on linkedin i don't know probably a few months ago and your writing hooked me Mm. but then i discovered you played baseball at unc and you know i live in north carolina so they said there's got to be a reason i can reach out and connect to this guy at least he'll give me some time because i'm here yeah and then i realized you were like half my age I'm like, what the heck is this guy doing? He's got he's got this big following in LinkedIn. He's got a lot to say. So we want to find out what makes you tick. You are wearing, for those listening, he's wearing UNC garb today, by the way. He's got a UNC pullover. Got to represent. Got to represent. And we talked about this last time. It's hard for me to look at that because I have a, a state grad, played soccer at state. I'm sorry. A Duke, a Duke soccer grad son-in-law. I'm really sorry. I know about that. By the way, that... That mutual hate is so fun to watch. It's kind of fun, actually. Yeah, fun fun is definitely one word for it. There's some others. Yeah. The state-UNC rivalry is underrated. Most people know about UNC Duke because of basketball. But yeah. really, people locally, the state-UNC one is pretty special, too. It's very special, I think, in, particularly in football and baseball. It's a pretty good rivalry in baseball. It's Two huge. good baseball programs. Yeah. yeah. Two good baseball programs. And then I've got the one son that plays soccer at Elon. So he's kind of like Switzerland. Doesn't hate anybody. <laughs> By the way, they smacked, UNC, they smacked UNC for the first time in a long time this year in soccer. Three nothing. Did they really? It was a big win for the Phoenix. Yeah, they loved it. I didn't know Elon had that kind of program. It's a good program. And we know the UNC coach fairly well, personally. So it was, it was fun to see him walk off the field with his head hung low. <laughs> you <laughs> got him. You got him this year. If we did, by the way, he'll talk about that when he's 50. <laughs> he gets some, they smacked Duke pretty good this year, but lost one nothing too. So they, uh, they had a good season. All right. We're not here to talk about my kids. We're here to talk about you and your kids. And the Mitro Silas group, what is that? So when you have a group, it sounds like it's kind of a – it's like a big thing. What is it? it sounds official, do doesn't it? It does. Yes. I'm probably going to let you down in the first three minutes of this podcast. It's just a holding company for the different ventures that I am working on. So it'll grow over time. Today, it is nothing more than a name and an umbrella for uh, several projects that are in development. That's how most people, I mean, that's the Crucible Partners. That's what I got started for as well. I was doing consulting and a couple other things and had to have a place to put it. So good right. for you. So Teddy, where, where did you grow up? I grew up in Redondo Beach, California. Bounced around a little bit after that, but yeah, that's where we live now too. So made it made it back to Redondo Beach. So if you're unfamiliar, it's 30 minutes or so south of LA. And what made you choose a baseball school on the other side of the country? 
It's a great question. So I played at a junior college first, uh, played Long Beach City College for two years. And I also grew up writing. And around my senior year of high school, I got interested in potentially majoring in journalism. And so as I went through junior college, I started thinking about, okay, what's going to be next for me? And what would be the best schools out there to combine a journalism program with a baseball program? And for me, just to set you know expectations for people, like I was a good baseball player. I was not the typical type of talent that goes to a program like UNC. Mm-hmm. And I was going to give up playing baseball after junior college if it meant getting into a school that was better for me. I was at that point in my career. It just so happened that my sophomore year of college was the best season I've ever had. And I got into UNC on my own out of state. And in what was it? I don't know, maybe January of uh, before my sophomore season started, my head coach at my junior college called Mike Fox, then the coach at UNC, mm-hmm. and said, Hey, we got this guy. He's our closer. You know, he's a good kid, good worker. He got into school and he's going there. And, you know, you may want to keep an eye on him if there's an opportunity for him to play. You know, at the very least, he probably would bring some value to your program and be a good, you know, good guy to have around. And so that's how it started. And luckily I had a good year and that created an opportunity for me to basically be a recruited walk-on at UNC. Mm-hmm. And my my dad asked me recently, like, how did you even think of UNC? Because my family's all on the West Coast. Nobody went out of state for college. Nobody maybe had even been to North Carolina. No one talked to me about that. No one put this idea in my head. And I don't really know other than, you know, I grew up obsessed with sports. I obviously saw Carolina basketball on TV. But then the Tar Heels, from a baseball perspective, were in Omaha starting, you know, nearly every year. It's felt like starting when I was in, you know, just entering high school. And so I obviously knew about them as a baseball program. And as I started researching schools, I just found Chapel Hill and like something clicked and and then I visited, I went out there and this would have been, I got there in the fall of 2009. So I visited in the spring of 2009 and they were playing a super regional against East Carolina. So I went out for that series on a recruiting visit and just fell in love, man. And that was it. I got on the plane to go home and, and told my parents like, I'm coming here and there's not even a close second. Oh, uh, it's fantastic. You might've saw my, my daughter's brother only pitched for ECU. I think that oh, did right he? at that time. He pitched Another for the pros actually. Another great program. He uh, pitched for the Orioles and the Seattle Mariners. He actually beat the Yankees at Yankee Stadium when my daughter was living in New York. That was kind of wow. What a memory! Good for him. Yeah, what a good memory. I think a lot of a lot of times kids have that they have that reaction at the right campus. Right, they walk on a campus. They can walk on ten, but one's going to jump out and go. This is where I want to go to school. Yeah. It could be the visit to the team, meeting the seeing the facilities, meeting Coach Fox, legend. By the way, he's a legend. But it has to be more than that. There's got to be something about the school that pulls you in. Every one of my kids felt the same way about where they went. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to explain. You know, and for me, it was much more about the baseball program because I wasn't a big time athletic recruit coming there. You know, I had a bigger, bigger pull and a bigger purpose. And just everything about it, I think from like one walking the campus, like if obviously I'm biased, but if you haven't been to Chapel Hill, it, you know, it's kind of perched up in this little 
cocoon surrounded by these beautiful trees. Like it is unbelievably just a beautiful college campus. And you get up there and you kind of get lost in it. You know, you feel like, you know, you're not that far outside of Raleigh, but like you wouldn't even know a big city is around you when you're on campus there. So one, like it's just beautiful. And then two, like even, you know, everybody I met from like in the journalism school to career counselors, to obviously the, the baseball staff, to training staff, to support people, like everybody was just welcoming and good people. And so I think the, the combination of that and just, you know, I don't know, God working inside me, something inside me just connected and it felt like home. We need to step backward a little bit. You, you mentioned that when you were growing up, you wanted to be a writer. You don't, I don't run across many athletes with that part of their brain working. Right. I wanted to be a professional baseball player until oh, okay. until Got about it. until about twenty one when the dream ended. <laughs> but I grew up I grew up enjoying writing. Like I always loved reading and writing. I remember like even in second grade, like I'd have these journals and I just liked the idea of like putting your thoughts down and like watching the pages fill up. I don't oh. know why, but that did something for me. And in school I always gravitated towards, you know subjects like history and sociology and things that were much more like writing, reading, research-based more than math and science-based. And then as I got older and started, you know, my athletic career started developing, I started to merge the two. You know, I, mm -hmm. I did some work with some sports psychologists and would use writing as a tool for visualization and mental training. So it got to a point where in college, by that time I had a pretty refined routine. And, you know, before I would pitch the day before I'd pitch or morning of, I would go through this visualization routine and writing was part of it. And so it just kind of always stuck with me. And then, so when my, the dream of playing, you know, pro ball ended, then yeah, writing was, was a kind of obvious second thing for me, but it, it's taken twists and turns over the years professionally, which, you know, we can dive into. Yeah. I, uh, when I'm doing recruiting and I happen to run across a D1 athlete, I always, I'm curious about their story, right? Because baseball in particular, I don't think people realize the amount of time people spend training in baseball. It is a ridiculous yeah. amount of hours. And as a pitcher, you spend the same amount of hours and play every three, four games, right? So, I mean, the ability to sit in the sidelines, be focused, know you're never getting in that game. And especially as a closer, you come in, you get one or two innings, you know, you're going to see six batters. You better do your job or all eyes on you as you walk off the field. So that, that yeah. kind of pressure is, that creates that kind of iron sharpening iron creates a different type of person. And you've migrated into this personal and leadership development and you write kind of, you write for creators. You want to help people create, but then you also write about process. And some of your recent posts I really resonate with because it's very simple habits and tips, right? Mm. Forming routines and doing things that help. And if you think about someone trying to position themselves as a leader, they've got to have those those foundations to do that. They've got to have some credibility and they have to communicate their credibility. So yeah. when you got out of school, walk us through your, your first couple of jobs, one with ESPN, and then you went to work for Fox. What experience of those two opportunities inspired you to say, look, I want to go do this on my own? What was about that? You know, coming out of UNC, my goal was to, to write professionally at a big brand, a big media company like ESPN. So I, a traditional media path, if you will. So that's how I started out. And after six years or so in the media business, I got burnt out. And you know, while I was at ESPN, I was writing and editing. And then I went to Fox Sports back in LA. And 
at Fox started to get more into the management side of media. So I was building teams and leading teams of, of content producers. And somewhere along the line, though, and I don't know what happened, but I had a moment where I just had this realization that you know I wanted to be in the arena building something. I didn't really want to be commenting on what other people were building. Mm. And that's not to say the entire media business is that, but that's kind of the the fruit of the media business, right? It's 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 creating content and it's commenting on what's happening in the world. And maybe it was just the former athlete in me and and even now like athletics is such a part of kind of who I am that I was like I resonate more with these guys and gals than I do with what I'm doing, which is a mm-hmm. kind of a, a dilemma for me here. <laughs> and so I got out of sports media and, and joined a tech company of all things. I went to a tech startup and spent the next six years having a, you know, a, a startup entrepreneurial experience, helping build a company called Striver from about 15 people when I started to around 150. And I was a generalist, you know, and, and so what I ended up doing was leading, building teams, managing, and using writing and communication skills in business in an entirely different way. Mm-hmm. And that opened my eyes to, I think, the power of writing and communication. And then that led me to about a year ago, I just felt a pull again to, to go step back into my roots of writing a little bit, but figure out how I could do that differently. And that, that led me to, to going out on my own and working with people who are um, you know executives and leaders who want to build audiences. And then you know, I'm also building a couple digital media projects on my own. So a couple things interesting you said, and I, I wrote this down because I have not heard anyone word it the way you worded it. You said you wanted to be in the arena building something versus commenting on other people who were building something in the arena. Yeah. Right? So you can't see this, but over my right shoulder is the man in the arena by Teddy Roosevelt. It's my favorite quote of all time. It's Love framed it. in glass. It's above my book. It is the only framed piece of artwork I have in my office. Hmm. And it's my favorite. If you haven't, you know, look it up. If you haven't, by the way, I'm shocked if you're not familiar with it, but it is one of the greatest personal business quotes of all time. So I haven't heard anybody use it in their own context before, right? I've heard people say they can relate to it, but the fact that you said you didn't want to comment on other people building it or you wanted to be in the arena. Yeah. So by the way, it just gets me fired up. Anytime anybody references that quote, I want to run through a wall. It's awesome. So a year ago, literally April of 2022, you go out, you form this group, you start off. Did you have any customers or did you just kind of jump, jump the cliff and then say, well, we're going to figure it out on the way down? That one, which, which I wouldn't advise, but you know, context, my wife at that point had been building her own business. She left her corporate job, I think in October of 2020. And so she was 18 months or so into, into building. And so you know, I was in a position where I could support her couple of years ago for her to take the leap. And then last year, she was is in a position where she could support me to take the leap. So I didn't have any customers to start. And honestly, all I really had was an idea of what I was going to do. I didn't really have a, much of a plan, but I knew I had a little bit of, of an audience on LinkedIn because I'd spent a few months writing before I, I left. And I had a very specific person that I was looking for, type of person which initially was startup managers. I was going to do some some coaching with startup managers while I built my writing. And so that made it a little more manageable to like go out every day and think about, okay, who do I need to find and who do I want to serve and how? And I just spent the last six years 
following that path myself. So I had a pretty good feel of, okay, what are the problems here and the challenges that I can probably help with? And that's how I supported, or that's how I started. But one of the really interesting things, Pete, was you know, a couple months into it, I completely pivoted because that was my first entrepreneurial lesson, which is you take an idea to the marketplace and the marketplace yeah. says, awesome, well, here is the thing that people really want from you. And it's not what you think it is. And here's yeah. this new path to go down. And so that, uh, that happened about summer of uh, 2022. What was the pivot? Well, first of all, when you said I was going to try to serve startup managers, leaders, what was the wake-up call and how did you pivot towards it? The pivot was for every conversation that I was having about startup managers, I was having at least one, if not more, about writing online and building a presence online. Because mm-hmm. I was starting to grow on LinkedIn and on Twitter. I think people saw my background, journalism major, media background, now tech background, has managed people. So there's this kind of this intersection of writing and leadership there on some level. And so I would have founders, executives, whoever asking me, like, I believe I need to be more visible online. I I believe I need to build, you know, what some might call a personal brand, but I'm not really sure how to do that. Can you help me do that? And for a while, I was like, yeah, sure. Like on the side of my desk, I'll help you do this while I continue to, to coach. But then by, I don't know, August, September, it just was so clear that there's one, a demand here, but then two, there's an opportunity to use my skills and experience that I've honed really, you know, for the last 15 years of writing kind of daily online for the most part in a much different way. And I started to feel really passionate about that. And, you know, for me, it's not, I'm not so much passionate about building a personal brand or helping others build a personal brand. What I'm passionate about is this idea that everyone has something of value to share, Mm -hmm. like deep value, like lessons, insight, stories, earned experience from their life. And I've had this like image in my head for years that I don't really know where it came from and I can't really shake it, but it's this old man sitting on a dock and he is surrounded by this beautiful forest a beautiful lake. And this old man is one of the world's greatest visionaries. And nobody knows it. Nobody knows his stories. Nobody knows his lessons. Nobody knows his wisdom. And he's going to take all that to his grave. So this is this fictional image that for whatever reason has been burned inside my head. And to me, that is a tragedy. And I think, okay, we have the internet. And we have the potential for people to document and share everything of value that they have in their life at scale. Think about the power of that. And, you know, humans, we've been using storytelling and content since the the beginning of mankind Mm -hmm. to impact others, to create a legacy, to pass all those things on. And sure, maybe that's a little bit altruistic and cheeky. That's, that's fine. Other people are like, hey, I just want to make some money and build my business doing this. And that's cool too. But for me, that's like the deeper motivating desire of doing this is one, I'm passionate about creating content and storytelling, but using it for that purpose. I think there are are certainly people on this platform who are starting to find their groove doing that. Mm -hmm. Imposter syndrome is real. And a lot of people are nervous about saying anything and will people like it, not like it. Hell, I, I went through it for six months. And then I just started to realize I don't care. I'm gonna yeah. 
going to write what I think. And I, I'm not a take a selfie and put a motivational quote up there and say, go for it. You're my tribe, right? And get 100,000 likes. I, there's a lot of that. I tend to write about observations about other people. That's where I've kind of found my niche, mm. which is why I have a podcast and why we're doing this. I, I love to share other people's stories. And and for you, your eating crow moment, your pivotal moment is when you you realized, hey, there's something else calling me here, right? It's not serving startup managers. It's it's helping people share their story. Mm. And I wrote down here, you know, and, and this is really true, by the way, COVID has impacted this. There's a huge gap now. There's a chasm in passing tribal knowledge on from one generation to another generation. You'd think that technology would make it easier. Yeah. But there are a lot of these old men sitting on the side of a lake, old men and women sitting on the side of a lake. And they used to pass that knowledge on in a conference room or in their office or a desk or at the, at the coffee, you know, in the coffee room, they would pass their knowledge on to other people in their company and train them. That doesn't happen anymore. It has to be intentional. Mm. It doesn't happen in passing. So the fact that you're helping them tell stories and share their experiences in a way that can reach, th- and yet, you know, the good thing about that is you could pass it on to two or three people over a cup of coffee. Now you can pass it along to 10,000 people. Right. If you take the time to do it. So you've got, You've got this thing called the process, and you've got this thing that's that's more creative based. What's the difference between the two, the daily creator and the process? How do you distinguish between them? Yeah. So those are two different newsletter projects. They're starting as newsletters. They're going to branch out to become broader than that. But the process is kind of two different audiences here. The process is for leaders or really for anyone who cares about becoming their best. And for me, you know, ever since I was four years old, that's when I really started getting obsessed with baseball. My dad would tell me little things like, it's the little things every day that will make you great. Practice, practice, practice. He saw my obsession for the game of baseball and used that as the vehicle to teach me about just the process of becoming better. And so that was instilled in me at a young age. And so one of the things that I just love to do is I just love to learn and improve at something. It can almost Mm. be anything, right? Like I love going out and finding people who are world-class at whatever they are and learning from them. And so the process is all about, the spirit of that is all about the, the continual pursuit of your best. And so I help folks who want to do that. I help them, you know, along their path by, sharing ideas and insights that I pick up and learn from from world-class people. The Daily Creator is a newer project, still finding its fit, honestly. It's, there's a little bit of building yeah. in public going on there, but it's for people who want to become better writers. So for whatever purpose, for some people, that's, you know, they want to be a quote-unquote creator and they want to build a creator business. For other people, they don't want to be a creator, but they're, you know, an executive at a company and they know that their most important job may be communicating and they want to hone their skills of digital communication. And so it's, it's really for any of anyone in between there who just wants to build better writing skills. So it may get a little more focused than that over time. You know, it's a young project, but that's really the, the core purpose of it. Help people become better writers. Do you think you're going to dilute your, your overall brand by having two different initiatives like that? I mean, some people see it can't serve two masters, right? And when you put, and by the way, that's an open-ended question. I don't have an answer to that question Mm -hmm. because I've had a lot of people say, look, double down in your niche, double down in your niche. And other people say, you can be a little bit more general, right? If you're going after an audience that's looking to be their best at a specific endeavor, process, sport, business, whatever, 
that's different than helping someone become a better writer, but almost the same objective, right? But the writing is where you're very niche. That's the thing I want you to be your best in, right? So it's almost taking the process and focusing on the initiative of writing yeah, and content. So do you see these things kind of following the same path under your own brand or do you see them diverging into separate businesses where you can have two different LinkedIn profiles kind of going after each one? What do you see happening? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question and an intuitive question. The honest answer is I don't really know if it's going to dilute my own brand in any way. And I also don't really care if I'm totally, mm-hmm. totally honest. There is a specific reason why my name is not on either of them. Because I don't want them to be the Teddy Mitrosilis brand. It's the mm. process and it's the day the creator. So my goal from the start is to, is to build them as independent brands and businesses that sit apart from each other. I just happen to be the, the originator of them. And you know, for me, they're, they're, they're authentic to me because they're, they're the two things that I'm probably most passionate about in my life. They do have a common tie, which you pointed out under the broad umbrella of personal improvement Mm -hmm. and continuing to grow as a human being and get better. And uh, those are two ways that I can help. So that's, you know, for me, how I think about it personally, but, you know, over time, I would love for each of those to get to a point where they live on their own and, you know, they're not so closely tied to me as an individual. And I kind of think about it like any, any entrepreneur who's built a bunch of things, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk probably has like 39 businesses he does. Know, sp- yeah. spanning spanning wine to an agency to NFTs to whatever, right? And that doesn't dilute his brand. His, his brand kind of sits above it as an entrepreneur. So that's how I think about it. You know, I also don't spend that much time wondering about stuff like that either. Like if I get an idea and I feel in my gut like there's something there, then I just go for it and, and start executing. Well, paralysis by analysis. The great thing about something digital is you can turn it on and turn it off instantly if you don't if it's not sure. if it's not jiving. The morning brew, this reminds me of something that the morning brew does, right? I mean they started off with just kind of a various business news newsletter. Now they have HR brew, they have tech brew, yeah, have, finance. Have, I think Many verticals. 10 different newsletters, right? Yeah. And some of them were spun out by people who were doing little niche articles and each one of them kind of formed their own their own thing. Yeah. And very well written, by the way. Cleverly written. It's almost like hearing someone talk. It, there's a little humor. Yeah. It pulls you in. It's snippets. So one of the things that, and I think I mentioned this in a comment of one of your posts that strikes me about your writing is you have the ability to do long form and short form. Hmm. There are times I see one of your posts, I'm like, damn, he said that in two sentences. It would have taken me six paragraphs. And I'm like, I need to be more Teddy-like. So, you know, brevity is interesting, but then you do some long-form content that really, sometimes it's a carousel, sometimes it's more of a a post versus, is that because you spent some time doing Twitter as well as long-form content? Is that, did it help help shape that for you? Twitter definitely helps with brevity. You know, having 280 characters per tweet forces conciseness. For me, I think it it also comes from the fact that like I've done journaling by hand for... Mm a decade plus. And I've just written in a bunch of different formats. Like this kind of goes back to like working in business and media. Like I've written emails, written presentations, written media stories, written tweets, written like, and the common theme for me that I'm always thinking when I write is what is the one point here that I want you, the audience to remember? And how do I do that while respecting your time? And that's why I tried to cut the fat out of everything I write. And a problem that I see in a lot of 
newer or unpolished writers is the opposite. It's it's like they've got to they've got to kind of warm up and get every thought they have out of the way before they get to the meat. And sure. I also was an editor for a long time. And an editor's job is to synthesize and to kind of crystallize around the core idea. And social media has only sharpened that skill because you've got sure. about two seconds to get someone's attention and get them into what you're doing or they're gone. And so I think the skill of getting concise is really powerful. Well, you hinted something here as well early. You like to find you like to find things and follow masters and learn from them. And writing is no different, right? So if you are new to creating content and creating a brand, whether it's, you know, I want to promote my personal brand or I want to brand drive business, you need to follow people who are good at it. Pay attention to the tips that they give you. I now know that for the last year when I'm writing something, I review it and I try to pull stuff out of it. My goal is I get my thoughts mm. down and then I go in and try to pare it back, pull out two bullet points. Well, that doesn't actually add any value that's been said here before. So it does help if you can be, become a lot more concise. Explain to us, you know, you have almost 40,000 followers. And for folks that aren't familiar with LinkedIn, that's a lot. I mean, there's very few people on LinkedIn that over 10,000 followers. But 40,000, how did that happen? It happened over a couple year period of time. Was it organic? Did you do anything intentional just to grow an audience? Or are those 40,000 followers wired into your ICP? Yeah, there's a lot here. It's, it's a great question. So it's I started writing on LinkedIn in January of 2022. So we're talking in February. So about so a year. So this happened in one year? It was about a year, yeah. That is remarkable. Yeah. And so there are a couple of things that I definitely am intentional about it. So there are a couple of things here that I think could be useful to whoever's, whoever's listening. So number one is I, I asked myself starting out, like, who am I trying to serve with my content? I view content just like a product or a service. Like it's, it's serving somebody, it's helping them solve some kind of problem. So who am I serving? And when I think about content, I think about why would you read this? And you know, back to respecting people's time and being concise. I also try to be humble and never believe that like you owe me your attention. You don't like I have to earn it with every piece of content. And so that's like the mindset thing starting out. Like, okay, that's how I'm going to approach content. And then number two is like, okay, becoming obsessed about who am I trying to reach now? I'm trying to reach people, you know, for the process people who are passionate about growth, people who are passionate about improvement, people who are leaders, they, they tend to look for that kind of content. You know, For writers, it's people who want to improve that skill. Then I think, okay, so what are their challenges, problems, opportunities? What are the things that they care about? How can I deliver them a little bit of value in each piece of content? And then I just back into then the ideas that I actually create and put out there. And once I put content out there, I am somewhere in between obsessed and not obsessed about analyzing it, meaning like I'll take a cursory look at data, but like I'm much, I'm thinking almost always about the psychological aspect of it. Like, okay, why did this work? Why did this not? I look at comments, all the comments I get. I read every single one of them. I read every single DM. I have a, a Google Doc of questions that people have asked me, and I am always looking for themes. Like, why are people asking this? Like, what is the reason? And to me, this is no different than, you know, training as a baseball player. Like, this is, this is the craft. This is the process of the craft. And I love it. Like, I love the daily work of doing that. So that, I think, is how it's 
it's really clicked. The other thing, I mean, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to build relationships with people. I spent a lot of time commenting in the community. I send a lot of DMs. Like I really genuinely try to show up for other people. I try to encourage people. And, you know, I, I like the word community more than audience. And I hate the word followers. But community to me has a spirit of it, of like we're building something together. And so for everyone who subscribes to the process of the Daily Creator, I want them to feel like they are they are joining a community of people who are on a mission and they are part of something that's bigger than just themselves. Whether I, you know, deliver on that or not, I don't know. It's for you to judge, but that's the mission at least. So that's kind of how I think about it. And then honestly, it's just like it's showing up every day after that, which might be the most important thing. I interview a lot of people and talk to people all day. It's what I just talk to people all day. So I do this 10 hours a day. Not necessarily every one of them turns into a podcast, but there are very few people who I see would who would use the word community, right? Not followers, not audience, but a community who I would look at and go, yeah, I'm buying that. Mm-hmm. Very few people I would. Most most people I go, Teddy, you are so full of, you know, it's all about the followers. But I actually truly believe because if you haven't listened to the first 40 minutes of this podcast, you wouldn't buy it. You, you wouldn't buy it either. But if you've listened to the first 40 minutes and you see how this evolved and how it started, and I always go back to how are you wired? If you're a closer in baseball and you come in, two two runners on, one out, top of the ninth, two run lead, somebody hands you the ball. You know, it's still a team sport, but there is no question your job at that particular point in time is to deliver for the team. It's funny. I would insert team in there, right? As community, that's mm. that's part of the same thing. You're on the same team. You're going towards the same goal. Everybody has a role. There's a first baseman, a second baseman, a third baseman, a first base coach. You know, there's somebody in the dugout calling pitches. There's all sorts of people that have different roles. Yeah. So if you can follow that mission and you use the word mission, which is important. I still find it, and and, and again, this gets back to something you mentioned. It's the process, capital T, capital P, the process as you define it. You mentioned earlier when you journaled, you loved seeing the pages fill. Mm -hmm. It was gratifying because you knew at the end of it, there was a body of work there that maybe each individual journal entry didn't have context, but when you apply it to the overall book that you fill, there's a story in there. Good days, bad days, highs, lows, all sorts of things that evolve into this story. I don't think people understand that. So let's spend a minute talking about how the process drives the daily creator. Because if you do the process, you do the work, Mm -hmm. you're going to become a better creator. Yep. And, you know, like you said, whether it's editing or finding your audience, you went through a major pivot. We got to go back to that part of the story where you thought, this is my ideal customer profile, but the market told you, no, Teddy, this is where you, this is where we want to see you. This is where we're resonating. So how do you help? Let's just take, for example, a CEO of a series B startup, right? They're funded. Mm. They've got a customers, they've got some revenue, but now it's time for growth, right? They really got to take it out there. What do you tell that person if they haven't spent a lot of time on LinkedIn that would help them drive some personal success, but help it translate toward the business? What What's the process and the creator aspect look like? Yeah. For me, I always start here, which is why do you want to do this? Mm. And it's a, it feels like an obvious question, but it's one that I genuinely feel like most people do not spend enough time on, including myself. I often have to check myself because look, I'm 
human like everyone else. I, I get caught up in followers. I get caught up in dopamine hits on social media. I get caught up in all of that. I'm not above anybody who's chasing that kind of stuff at all. And so I have to remind myself, why am I here and why am I doing this? And so for, for a CEO or a leader who's not in the space, they're kind of like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, why do you want to build your presence? And they'll say, well, you know, to get sales or drive our business. And then I'll ask, okay, well, why do you want that? And they'll say, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow our company. It's going to help us recruit talent. Okay, great. So why do you want that? And sometimes I'll get like, by the third time I ask, why do you want that? I'll get a little like smirk or a chuckle. And I'll say, I know, I know, like, just go with me here for a second. And what we're getting down to is really purpose. And I think a purpose is important for not only writing or building your presence online, but, but anything, because it's hard. It takes time. It takes consistency. It takes work. And this is just my personal belief. If you don't have that clarified why I'm doing this, it's very hard to keep showing up for the amount of time you need to show up to have success. And for this example specifically, why we want to get down to the purpose is there's always some deeper reason, right? Once you get to it, it's like, well, and it usually connects back to like, what is the founding story of the business? Like sure. if you're a founder, like, why did you start this company? It probably wasn't like just to get rich, even though that's going to you know, hopefully is a nice outcome for you and, and the team. Sure. There's some reason, right? I call it your origin story. Like, what is your origin story and what is the company's origin story? And the origin story is a framework that is the sum of all of the moments and ideas and insights and lessons that have you know, made you who you are, made the company who it is. And that is the stuff that you need to tell on platforms like LinkedIn to connect with people. You know, I have a client that I'm working with right after this call and, and we had our, our intro call a week ago and he was like, you know... I have all this like really good you know, ideas and content I could share, but it has nothing to do with our business. And I, I just want to talk about our business, which they're, they're a software business to keep it generic. And I'm like, great. I'm like, so before anyone cares about your software, they are going to want to have some kind of connection and understanding of you mm -hmm. and the team and the company and the heart underneath the software. And that is where the opportunity lies for most people. And it's personal. And there's not one way to show up and, and, and no one can tell you what to share or necessarily how exactly you should share it. But I think that is where I do start with people and the most valuable place to start because that's the, the human side of all this and what people connect to. Well, it's, uh, there was a masterclass right there in the last four minutes. We're going to snip that out and just, that's going to be the podcast. <laughs> Hope someone gets something out of that. A couple of important things you mentioned. A lot of, a lot of executives feel like they have to talk about the company, right? Mm -hmm. We make XYZ software. It solves this problem for, you know, ABC customers. And we're really great people. Yeah. But there's probably a dozen other competitors that could say almost the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. So when someone starts to begin to put content out there and you've, you've discovered their origin story, the reason that's so important is that's natural for them. It's rooted, it's yeah. rooted in years of emotions and experiences and stories that they can draw from and pull from without trying, right? They may need some help in getting it out and getting it on paper, but they don't have to make it up. It doesn't have to be fake. There's going to be strong emotions and softer emotions and they'll figure out what starts to resonate with their audience. And you're right. Once people start become attracted to, hey, this person's got something to say, I value their opinion, 
then if I start to understand how they help me as a client, I'm going to be much more inclined to pay attention to them. Maybe not. Mm -hmm. This is the other thing people forget. This is a long game. Yeah. If you want to build credibility online socially, that's a long play because you're basically giving permission. You're getting permission from your audience to take the story deeper. Yeah. All right, Teddy, I trust you. I kind of like what you're talking about. And now I might call you in six months and say, you know, Teddy, I'm really ready to scale my writing. What do you think? Mm-hmm. So that's so important. It's often the human stories and human connection that even bring people into your ecosystem to begin with, mm-hmm. right? Like I got a buddy who runs a uh, an investment company and his parents were immigrants. And he told a story about, you know, his dad immigrating to America and building a business. And a day later, he got a DM from a business owner. And the guy told him, I've been following you for seven months and I love your content. I learn from it all the time. But that story about your dad really connected with me. And I'm entering a stage now where I'm starting to think about selling my business. And I don't really know how. Like, I don't know anybody in my world who's ever done that. Would you be open to a call about that? And this is amazing because my buddy, like he spends, you know, 80% of his content is, is probably about investing, entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. building businesses, selling businesses, buying businesses. And he gets, you know, inbound from that too. But undoubtedly every time, not every time, oftentimes when he writes these stories, like there's someone out there who's been lurking and it's that kind of personal hook that brings him into your, your world. It happened to me yesterday. Almost that blatantly. A guy who I've been connected to, I follow his stuff. He talks about leadership, but he wrote a post yesterday about his journey as an entrepreneur, Mm. about the debt he had to raise, the risks he took, how he had to take highly dilutive rounds to keep his business going to the point where when he actually sold, he didn't make any money. Mm. And he had to choose to support his family and his daughters and his wife and swallow a pretty difficult pill because he didn't get any credit. You know, no credit was given to him when that happened. He built this incredible company, and it was like five years of money and debt and all gone. Yeah. And a lot of entrepreneurs. I built a couple of companies. I have one of those under my belt, right? And I, I literally sent him a DM right then and there and said, "Dude, we need to talk live," because four out of the five things you mentioned in that story, I can relate one hundred percent to. Mm. The fifth, I can't, but I can. I understand where it's coming from. So you're right. I have no idea how we'll do business together, but the personal connection pulled me in and I want to learn more. That was yeah. it. Right there, I want to learn more. It's so incredible. It's such a great example too of how this stuff works. And there doesn't always need to be a business outcome either. You know, one of the no. best, one of the best, I think, outcomes of, you know, showing up on these platforms is just that, like, it's the way that your world expands and the people that you form relationships with that you never would have had the opportunity to before. And maybe you do something professionally, but maybe you don't. And maybe it's just a relationship that enriches your life, which is plenty of value in that, of course. I can think of a dozen people who I've met in this platform that I've formed deep friendships with. And if anything, we're just there for each other. Yeah, right? so cool. Share stories, learn. And there are Two people that I'm actually doing business with now as business partners after a two-year relationship developed in a lot of respect. And and then we kind of both ended up at the same place trying to solve the same problem. Looked at each other and said, we should just do this together. Mm. But there's an important point here, Teddy. You have to enter 
that type of situation with that mindset that there doesn't have to be an objective here for every conversation that I have. Yeah. There doesn't have to be a sale. If you do good and do good by others and add value, it will come back to you in the right way. You just may not know when. Yep. Yep. Exactly. I don't know if you know April Sprints, but she's awesome. Uh, look her up on LinkedIn. She okay. recommends a book called The Go Giver. Oh, great book. Yep. I've read it. Yep. Yeah. And so I'm working through it now. And so not not quite ready to share all my lessons from it, but the spirit of we hear people, you know, oh, he's a go-getter. We hear that phrase a lot. How often do we hear a go-giver? And I, I just love the spirit of the way that it flips the thinking on its head, that the more you give, the more, more you serve, it works out for you in the end. My wife has her own way of giving back to the community. And, and we've talked a lot about what's the best way for me to do that. And I made a point this past year that I will take a, a DM meeting from anyone looking for a job. Hmm whether I can place them, whether I can add value if they're in my circle or anyone that reaches out to me and says, could you talk? I'll take the meeting. And I do it at least an hour a day every day, which wow. substantial amount of time, but I've been able to manage it. And at the end of the call, everyone there, they're, so, they're like, well, what can I do to help you, Pete? And first of all, in most situations, they probably can't, but I, they were genuinely asking. And the point is, well, there's nothing. I mean, at some point down the road, yeah, you might be in a position to hire five people and say, I know a guy or never, or you might find someone else who needs a job and you help them. That would be even better, right? If yeah. you take a call from someone else, now we're really getting that train rolling. Yeah. And if you haven't read The Go-Giver, which is a great book, it kind of walks through that process. If you And it's hard for people. There's so much content on LinkedIn about you know the go-getter, the grind, the pitch, eat nails, mm -hmm. winner take all. It works for some people. I have to admit there are, I know a lot of very successful people who are with a lot of dead bodies on the side of the road. Mm. I think uh, I'd rather sleep well at night. Yeah. And, you know, I'm always inspired by the people who have a place that they can go to that's hard when something mm -hmm. gets hard. But underneath that is this humble, compassionate human being. That to me is like the ultimate strength. You know, and I think a lot of people I think have the sense like, oh, I got to be one or I got to be the other. I got to be the go-getter. I got to be the grinder. I got to be the hustler. Or I'm just the servant leader. I'm just here to serve and be soft and meek. And and to me, it's like, no, it it's the combination of both. But the hard place is not for you. It's not self-serving. It's a place that you can go to when the team needs you to go there and accomplish whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. And then when you back off that, then you back off that and you are a loving, you know, human being. Like, I don't want to go on a rant here, but this idea of like, you always got to be hard. You always got to be tough. Like, I hate that concept so much. And I think the yep. reason it's like visceral for me now is because I used to be that guy. Like, I used to be that person, that competitive athlete. I used to be that in my 20s as a professional, like in the office at four in the morning, like leaving at nine, taking pride in that. And then, you know, I got married and then I had two daughters and then I was, I learned that like, this doesn't really make me a very good husband or dad. Right. And, and then in that learning is where I really found, oh, their strength in being able to play the opposite of that. When you see a leader who's got that figured out, it's really impressive to watch, right? You know that they're a good human, but when they need to go to the wall, they can go to the wall. If you've ever watched any of Jordan Peterson's material. I know Look who he up. is, but I'm I'm not that familiar with the stuff. 
incredible content. He has a, a whole bit he does on being dangerous. Mm. He says, you're called to be lethal, to be dangerous. And he said, think about it this way. You described it perfectly. If you're all nice and go with the punches and everybody's okay and lovey dovey dovey, and that's truly how you are, and you don't go off and don't handle the hard stuff and can't go to the mat, what's what's the power of that, right? If you if you if you don't have the ability to go there, he said you need to be dangerous, lethal, and have all that capability, but the ability to manage it and control it. Mm. That's true power. That's true adding value to society. If you've got that, but 99% of the time you keep it contained around your wife and your daughters and your coworkers and your friends. But if they know when they need it from you, it's there. That's the true power of leadership and adding value. I've got that line contained, but when I need it, yeah, it's there. That so you're that what you're describing is great. I've got it. It's there. But I've got it totally controlled. And it comes out when I need it, but I can put it right back in the in the can. That's yep. that is a that's an amazing skill to have. Yeah, I love it. So well said. I am a work in progress on that. I'd like to think that I uh, I've got it totally controlled. I think I have it mostly controlled and trying to get better. I would think anybody that has a line within has got it. I'll just say mostly controlled. I don't think anyone ever has it fully controlled. Right. Yeah. If it's truly a pretty big beast, you you know it's gonna it's one of the paws is gonna get every once in a while. So, yeah. and I think we, that's a whole separate podcast on fatherhood and parenting and all sorts of things we can talk about. Yeah. But, I'll, I'll interview you for that one, Pete. I'll learn from you. <laughs> age before beauty, Teddy, age before beauty. <laughs> well, I know you've got a big customer presentation to prepare for. I thank you for being generous with us for an hour. It's been a great episode. I can think of two more episodes in the next couple of seasons we'll have to get to. Best of luck on the process and the Daily Creator. I think they're fantastic initiatives. And UNC Baseball, how are they going to be this year? Thanks for the kind words, Pete. I think UNC is going to be good. We're off to a four and three start. Dropped two this past weekend to East Carolina, but um, that's okay. I think they got a good club and it's time. It's time for the heels to be back in Omaha. Well, let's hope that happens. Thanks again. I'll put uh, how to contact Teddy in the show notes. And thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Pete. I appreciate you. Thanks for checking out Eating Crow. Like and subscribe so you never miss a video. 